0: Hey, uh, we are in our new series that we kicked off last Sunday, James, All Up In Your Business. Now, before I continue, I, I just got to tell you guys something, that James, the book of James, has a special place in my heart, all right? So, uh, when I was in middle school and high school, maybe even before that, uh, where are my middle school and high school students in the room? We have any? They won't raise their hand because they're a student, you know uh even the even the babies that we're dedicating all right even the babies in the room babies who we're not dedicating all the children i want to apologize this morning okay i'm about to give your parents a punishment idea that could cause you a lot of trouble and for for that i'm i'm really truly sorry okay when I was in middle school and high school, my parents, which, by the way, it's my dad's birthday. They shout out to my dad. I don't know if he's watching this morning, uh, 9 or 11. He just doesn't love me, maybe, so uh, he's not watching it all. Uh, my parents, uh, when I was a kid, they uh, had this nifty idea for a punishment where I would have to write sentences. Anybody had to have to do this as a kid? Yeah, all right. The people that can barely raise their hand because their wrist is still, like, traumatized from writing writing sentences those those are the people I had to write sentences now here's the deal my parents had this nifty idea that when I would write sentences because I would misbehave I wouldn't just write a sentence like you know I shouldn't disrespect my parents anymore or I shouldn't put aluminum foil in the microwave Arby's roast beef man I needed to heat that sandwich up But uh, my parents had this nifty idea that when I misbehaved, I wouldn't just write one of those sentences like that. I would actually write a passage of scripture that related to uh, the thing that I had done wrong or whatever. Because my parents wanted me to be a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true either. But they wanted uh, me to uh, like know scripture and stuff. So I uh, was a mouthy kid growing up. I disrespected quite a bit. And so my parents found this passage in the book of James about taming the tongue. That I ended up writing quite a bit 50, 75, 100 times uh, every time I would disrespect every time I would mouth out, mouth off. All that to say, James has been all up in my business for quite some time. OK? <laughs> So last week, Torin kicked us off in this uh, series, James, all up in your business. It's this letter that we find in the New Testament, which means it was written after Jesus lived and died and was resurrected. And the book, the letter, is unique in many ways. Torin mentioned this last week that the book of James doesn't actually set out to offer any uh, massive new theological ideas, right? It's more interested in uh, attempting to challenge the way that the early Christians were living. That's why it's all up in your business, right? The uh, first four books of the New Testament are often referred to as the Gospels, and they are full of the life and the ministry of Jesus. James doesn't really mention any narratives, direct uh, addresses to Jesus. James doesn't seem to uh, suggest any new theological ideas, like the distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, or the church as, as the body of Christ. Instead, James does what Jesus does, and writes and preaches to his audience on the ancient Israelite scriptures, the the old testament as we know it today the the law the prophets and wisdom and the result is uh i i love how the bible project phrases it the result is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow jesus so um, i want you guys to uh, lean over to your neighbor and give them a nice punch in the gut no i'm just kidding don't do that don't do that you're gonna have to write sentences later on A beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. Last week, Torin explained or walked through the first four verses of this letter, of this punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. And it was an instruction from James that we should count our trials and our suffering as joy because of God's ability to use those to bring us to a point of maturity and completion. Some translations even say to perfect us. And these words are all a translation of the same Greek word that James used. Uh, the Greek word is teleos. Everybody say teleos. You can say that one. Yeah, teleos. Don't punch your neighbor, but please uh, respond when I say say a word. The uh, teleos is a, a Greek version of the Hebrew word uh, tamim. I think is how you say it. My Hebrew is not as good. My Greek's not great, but Hebrew is even worse. Tamim. Everybody say tamim. Tamim. It's this idea of wholeness. James is after this idea of wholeness. In fact, he uses this phrase seven times throughout his short letter. It's a big deal for our text last week. It's going to be a big deal for understanding our text this week and for the book as a whole. James is Trying to make sure that everyone knows he uses it seven times in a Hebrew tradition, a way of saying, hey, pay attention. This is a big deal, this idea of wholeness. And when James says words that are translated mature, complete to perfect wholeness, what James is really after is a completely integrated life. Where our values and our beliefs and our actions are consistent with the values and beliefs and actions of Jesus. This is what James is after. Like every, every point in time, every week, we're going to be undigging a passage from James. It's all usually going to come back to this desire for James to live a whole life, a life that is integrated and consistent with the values and the beliefs of Jesus. And some of you guys are probably like me this morning. You're like, whew, that sounds intense, like integrated life with Jesus. Like, I feel like I live a fractured life where I say one thing and I do another like a lot of the time. Right, And there's so much that's constantly changing around us, and there's pressures from people and places. And oftentimes what we find ourselves asking is questions like, is God reliable? Where is God? How should I live my life? The audience that James found himself writing to was in a similar place asking similar questions. And his message to them is the same message I think God has for us through this ancient letter for us today and over the next several weeks. The message is this. Wait for the Lord, be patient, and endure. God is on a mission to restore fractured people, to restore fractured systems, to restore a fractured world, and to make them whole again. So we turn in your Bibles to James chapter one. We're going to be reading the next four verses, verses five through eight, this morning. Torin taught on the first four verses this morning. We're going to be in the next four verses. As you turn or pull out your phone or whatever, we're also going to have it on the back screen just to uh, remind us. the The message that Torin uh, walked through last last week was a simple message. Perseverance amidst trials, all aimed at this idea of wholeness. This morning we pick up on James' second instruction, still aimed at this idea of wholeness. So let's read here the first, uh, the next four verses, James 1, 5 through 8. It says this If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So this, this text is, is deeply connected to the passage that we walked through last week. Right? And Torrance summarized the passage from last week, he summarized it really well by saying, you, when it comes to trials and suffering, you may not like the process, but you will like what it produces. Do you guys remember this? You may not like the process, but you will like what it produces. And James follows up this instruction by imploring us to ask for wisdom in a way of saying, listen, if you, if you want what it produces, there's something you're going to need in the process. There's something you're going to need in the process, and what you're going to need is Wisdom. You're going to need wisdom. Without wisdom, you cannot be complete. You cannot be mature. You cannot be whole. So I think to kind of wrap our heads and our hearts around this text, this idea of of God's wisdom and how we can receive it and how we should ask for it, I want to kind of move through the text in sort of three movements, all right, to kind of help us unpack this passage, all right? Three movements. The three movements are simple. You probably picked up on them as we read the first time. The first movement is this, what does God give, okay, what does God give? The second movement is, how should we ask for it? And then the third movement is, how does God give it? What does God give? How should we ask for it? And how does God give it? Uh, Olivia and I, are, uh, my wife and I, were expecting our first baby in November, which is great. It's a good time. We had our first uh, baby shower a few weeks ago. And uh, I'm not sure if I, I'm down with this parenthood stuff because you have to open gifts that aren't for you. Is that really a gift? Uh, uh, It is definitely a gift, and we're very appreciative, but I think I like gifts for me better because I'm selfish. Anyway, this gift that we're going to be talking about this morning, wisdom, is for you. It's awesome, okay? All right, so first, what does God give? Let's read. I want to read verse 5 again, James 1, verse 5. Let's read it again really quick. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's plain and simple. If any of you lack wisdom, he says, ask for it, and it, referring to wisdom, will be given to you. The gift, what God wants to give us, is the gift of wisdom. Now commentators point out that the key to understanding this passage correctly is to avoid our modern understanding of wisdom. Oftentimes when we hear wisdom, we think of like ideas, and we think of the right way to to think about things, right? But this is not the way that James thought of wisdom James had a much more ancient understanding a Hebrew understanding of wisdom that was more embodied you see for James wisdom wasn't just about the right way to think for James wisdom was about the right way to live it was the heart and the mind needed for the right way to live for James wisdom was comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God I think the best way to to think about wisdom, when we think about this gift that James is saying that we should ask for, I think the best way to think about it is this. Wisdom, for James, is less about the accumulation of ideas and knowledge, and it's more about this ability that's given to us by God to see things from God's perspective and to live accordingly. Wisdom is less about accumulation of ideas and knowledge and more about this ability to see things from God's perspective and to live accordingly. This is the first movement. This is what God is offering. This is what God is giving, wisdom. Which leads us into the second movement of how should we ask for this? If this is a gift of wisdom, James, specific in the way that we should ask for this gift of wisdom. Let's read what he says again in verses 6 through 8. He says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, here's the deal. Torin, two weeks ago, to kind of close our Future Fruit series, gave a a message on this idea of faith, on this idea of belief. In fact, the word that James uses uh, to describe belief when he says you must ask in belief or you must ask in faith is the same word. It's the word uh, pistis. It's this Greek word, pistis, that Torin taught on two weeks ago from the Gospel of Mark. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back. It was a great ending to our Future Fruit series. But I'm not sure I need to really add on too much to what Torin already said about this idea of faith and belief. But I think to kind of add on to that teaching and to kind of clarify James' instruction here, I want to kind of focus on this doubt stuff. That James says that, that we shouldn't have. James says we should ask in belief, that we should ask in faith, and he says we we shouldn't have any doubt. I think if you're like me, you read that or you hear that and you're like, wait, what? You mean I can't like question when things are going wrong, I can't bring my questions to God? Or when I'm in an incredibly difficult season, I can't emotionally wrestle with God. Some of you are even thinking, well, wait, like I've seen in in the Bible people. Asking questions to God, people who seem to, and in a moment, seem to be doubting. Like, what do you mean, James, that when I, have to, when I come to God, I should ask in faith, ask in belief, without any doubt? I think those are all really good questions. Those are questions that I found myself asking this week as I was poring over, praying, and reflecting through our text. And through some, some deep digging, I began to discover that when James says that we should ask in faith without any doubt, The kind of doubt that I just described of this logical questioning, of this emotional wrestling with God, is not the kind of doubt that James has in mind when we should ask in faith without doubt. The the root of the word that James is using has has at its root this idea of division, uh, division of loyalties. When what James is describing is a, a kind of doubt that has a, a division of loyalties, of multiple, uh, multiple commitments, of undivided commitment even. One commentator describes this doubt from James as a life of active duplicity. Everybody say active duplicity. Active. active duplicity. This is the kind of doubt that James is describing. Active duplicity where you say one thing, but you believe and live in an entirely different way. When James says we should ask in faith and belief and not doubt, he's like offering a way bigger of a punch in the gut than maybe we think when we read it the first time. He's saying we have to ask in faith without any doubt, without this active duplicity. And if we read the way that James describes people with doubt, the context clues all start to add up. James says that someone with faith, he describes as someone being tossed around as a wave in the sea. He describes someone with doubt as someone who's double-minded, The phrase that he uses, double minded, it's not the first, or it is the first time that it pops up in Greek literature, but he didn't come up with the idea. The idea of this double minded person was an idea that popped up again and again in the Old Testament as someone with two, not two minds, but two souls. Two souls, someone who was divided to their very core. This is the way James describes someone with doubt. So just to clarify, I think it's an important clarification. Just to clarify, when James says that we should ask for wisdom in faith without doubt, he is not talking about the person who is logically questioning the goodness of God after the loss of a job or the loss of a family member. When James says that we should ask in faith without doubt, he's not talking about the person who's emotionally wrestling with how to relate to God as they mourn children that they might not ever have. When James says that we should ask in faith without doubt, James is not talking about the person who's going to God and saying, God, how could you let this hurricane or this war or this injustice happen? He's not talking about the person who's coming to God like many people have in the Bible before us and going to God and saying, God, where are you in the midst of an incredibly difficult season? This is not the kind of doubt that James is describing. The kind of doubt that James is describing, that he's saying, ask God in faith without this stuff, is a doubt of a life of active duplicity, of wavering commitment, of multiple loyalties. So when James says that we should ask in faith without doubt, what he's talking about is the person who comes to church every Sunday, but has hate in their heart based on where someone is from or what someone looks like. When James says that we should ask in faith, without doubt, James is talking about the person who proclaims with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, but with their life proclaims that money is Lord, or comfort is Lord, or having that house or that car or that thing is Lord. When James says we should ask in faith without doubt, he's talking about the person whose life seems to pledge a lot more allegiance to the country they live in and the political interests of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the whatever party than it does to the kingdom of God. When, G- when, John- when James says that we should ask in faith without doubt, he's talking about the person who has attempted to give their life to Jesus But just not their time to jesus the person who says jesus like listen you can have like one hour on sunday morning and maybe two hours every other week while i'm at small group if you do the math i did some this week what that person is saying is jesus you can have my life but really what i'm going to give you is on average one and a half hours out of 168 hours in my week you stretch that out over a year And what that person's saying is, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life, but really what I'm going to give you is 18 hours out of 2,016 hours in a year. Percentage-wise, that person's saying, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life, but really what I'm going to give you is 0.009% of my life. And I round it up. Punch in the gut. Hey, we said James is all up in our business. James is saying, listen, God wants to give this gift of wisdom to you. God wants to give this gift of wisdom, but only to people who really want it. To people who who have undivided commitment and loyalty to God. Ask in faith without doubt. Now that's a punch in the gut, right? At least it, it was for me this week. I don't want to end there. I think if we end there, some of us might leave feeling like, uh, you know, when you like get the wind knocked out of you, you're like, uh, uh." that's how some of us might feel if we end here this morning. James offers this punch in the gut, this encouragement to not have doubt based on a view of God that if we read the text closely, we pick up on. It takes us into this third movement of how does God give this gift that I want to kind of land the plane on this morning. How does God give this gift? Before I do that, I want to ask uh, anybody who's married or uh, has a close friend or maybe they're dating or whatever, uh, have you ever had a moment with that person where you go to do something and you, the, two, the two of you are doing it in such a different way that you realize in that moment that there are people in the world who live their life entirely different than you? Have you had this moment? Yeah? Yeah? Uh, my wife and I, Olivia, when we first got married, we had one of these moments. We've had lots of these moments, but one of these moments sticks out. Uh, I remember when we first started, like, uh, going to bir- uh, birthday, well, no, we didn't go to birthday parties. But, you know, you- when you're old, you don't go to birthday parties. But you give birthday gifts still. Lame. Uh, but uh, you give these birthday gifts or wedding gifts or whatever, right? And uh, we would go to do this, and sometimes Olivia would be like, hey, like, can you, can you wrap the gift or whatever? And I'd be like, yeah, for sure, no, pr- no problem. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in a family that uh, it's not preposterous to think about the idea of giving the gift to the person in the grocery bag that you got when you bought the gift that you're giving them. You know, anybody in those families? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You're my people. You're my people. OK, Olivia grew up in a family where when you give a gift, that gift is wrapped and presented such that it looks like Santa's elves in Santa's workshop wrapped that thing. I mean, when, when I open gifts from Olivia or her mom or whatever, like, I don't even want to open it. Like, it just, it looks so uh, amazing. I just want to put it on a shelf, right? And Olivia and I would get in arguments about this. Like, she'd be like, why are you so terrible at putting a gift together, you know, and like all this stuff. And at first, it was just like this superficial argument that we just, you know, like knock heads on. And then we started to get a little deeper, and I realized something. Olivia has actually taught me something. But I realized that Olivia was taught that when you give a gift, the presentation of that gift is an opportunity to reveal the heart behind with which you're giving that gift. And Olivia has taught me that how someone gives a gift, not always the presentation, but the heart behind it, but how someone gives a gift reveals as much about that person as the gift they are giving. Right? How someone gives a gift reveals as much about that person as the gift that they are giving. How does God give this gift? Let's read. Verse 5 again, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James offers this punch in the gut because he's saying he knows a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. How someone gives a gift says as much about them as the gift that they are giving. James says God gives generously to all without finding fault. N.T. Wright, he's a, a theologian and a commentator. I love what he says about this passage. He says that in, in reference to this passage that James is wanting to make it abundantly clear that God in his giving of, his, of God's love and grace and mercy and gifts like wisdom is unrelenting. Unreserved, uncalculating, and unwavering. James is saying, listen, I know a God who is unrelenting, who is unreserved, who is unwavering, who is uncalculating. Unrelenting, like there's no stopping it. There's no stopping the love, the grace, the mercy, the gifts that this God seems to want to offer me. It's unreserved like it's always there it's uncalculating like there's no calculus on who you've done or or what you've been and it's unwavering it can be trusted always love grace mercy the gifts like wisdom that god wants to offer unrelenting unreserved uncalculating and unwavering but this is not the way that many of us view god it's not the way that we view the gifts that god wants to give us like wisdom For many of us, we see God as a God who is relenting, a God whose care and support stops as quick as it starts, and so we should avoid him at all costs. Some of us, we see God as a God who is reserved, who doesn't really care, isn't really passionate about anyone, including me, like ever. Others of us, we see God as a God who is calculating, keeping a track of our rights and our wrongs and determining what kind of life we're going to have. And then there's some of us who see God as a God who is wavering, who will come and go and can never really be trusted on a consistent basis. James is saying, I know a God who's unrelenting, unreserved, uncalculating, unwavering, And if you're anything like me, I know sometimes I see a God who's relenting, who's reserved, who's wavering, and who's calculating. I don't have time, I wish I had time to get into the ways and the reasons that I see God this way sometimes, that we see God this way sometimes, but I don't. What I do have time to do this morning is to assure you that this is not the portrait of God that we see in the scriptures. This is not the portrait of God that we're offered in the Bible. Jesus said that he was the the most clear way to see who God is and what God is like. Jesus said that. And then the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, Jesus said, I am the well. If anyone comes to me, they will never thirst again. And in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger again. What Jesus is saying, when it comes to me, there is no relent. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Anyone who comes to me, I will take care of them. I put my life on the line. I'll leave the 99 for the one. Jesus is saying, when it comes to me, there is no reservation. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine. Stay connected to me and you will live life and life to the full the way it's meant to be lived and you will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying, the vine doesn't calculate to the branch. When it comes to me, my love, my grace, my mercy, there is no calculation. And in John chapter eight, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will never be lost again. Jesus is saying, when it comes to me, there is no wavering. See, James is urging us, begging us to have undivided commitment to a God in Christ who is unreserved, who is unrelenting, who is unwavering, who is uncalculated. James is saying We serve a God who wants to give us love and mercy and grace and gifts like wisdom, who's unreserved, unrelenting, unwavering, and uncalculating. Why would we offer anything other than our undivided commitment and loyalty? Why would we ask in faith without doubt? Why would we ask any other way than that? So I want to move us into a time of response and worship. We're going to sing one more song. It's a song called Highlands. This song that's just belting out the fact that wherever we're at in life we serve a god who is unrelenting unreserved uncalculating and unwavering and as we respond in worship this morning i want to invite you if you need to come forward if you just need to stay where you're at if you need to take a seat i want to invite you to just do some business with god this is an opportunity for you to go go to god and say god i need wisdom I need, I'm, I'm asking to see things from your perspective and to live accordingly. And God, I want to ask in faith this morning, without doubt. I want to give you my undivided commitment, my undivided loyalty. And there's some of us this morning probably, we just need to, we just need to receive those words. We need, to, we need to receive this view of God, a God who is unreserved, who is unrelenting, Who's unwavering? Who's uncalculating? So wherever you're at this morning, I want to invite you to respond in worship to this incredible God, who offers us love, mercy, grace, gifts like wisdom. It's always there, always available. We pray with me. God, how could we respond in any other way than gratitude? How could we respond in any other way than undivided commitment and loyalty? But God, this is difficult. It's difficult to offer you our undivided commitment and loyalty. There's so many things around us constantly begging for for our commitment to them and our loyalty to them. So, God, I just pray that as we respond in worship to you this morning, that we would sing out of a out of a place of, of gratitude to your unreserved, unrelenting, unwavering, and uncalculated love and grace and mercy, gifts like your gift of wisdom and spirit. I just pray that you would come into this place and that you would offer that gift to those who, who, of us who are, who are attempting our very best to offer an undivided, loyal heart and life to you. Jesus it's in your name that we gather it's in your name that we pray all of these things to you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever Amen